Welcome to the Work Positive Podcast with your host, executive coach and culture architect, Dr. Joey Fawcett. Discover strategies and tactics that work positive as Dr. Joey talks with industry leaders who create a positive work culture that attracts top talent and reduces team turnover. Discover how you can create a work positive culture that increases productivity and profits. Here's your host, Dr. Joey. Hey, Work Positive Nation, here's your question for the day. Okay, you ready for this? When you think of your leader, what adjective comes to mind? Okay, if you are the leader, what adjective do you hope your team uses for you? Okay, now some of you are laughing, right? Because you're going to say, man, I can never use that one out loud, (laughs) right? But what about this? Lovable leader. What do you think about that? You ever thought about your leader as lovable? Well, you really should, because for some leaders, being lovable, that is their superpower. And let me tell you, from personal experience, those are the leaders we want to work for, right? So if you're a leader, how do you become lovable? Or how do you help your leader become lovable? That's what you're going to discover today on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Man, you talk about a work positive culture. When your leader is lovable, things get so much better. And that's what we're all looking for at work, right? So instead of waking up in the morning going, I have to go to work, we get up and say, hey, man, I get to go to work. This is fun. Today's guest is going to help you be a lovable leader and help make your leader more lovable. Work Positive Nation, help me welcome to the podcast today, Jeff Gibbard. Hey, Jeff, how you doing, thank man? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I would play uh, applause and claps and laughter and all sorts of good things, but <laughs> I am here. I am very appreciative to be here with you, Dr. Joey. Thank you for having me, man. Oh, man, you're you're such a superhero. I am delighted to have you on today, man. So lovable leader. Somebody in Faith Positive Nation laughed when I said lovable leader because they're like, dude, my leader is anything but lovable. <laughs> right? Where did you come up with this notion of a lovable leader? So the whole thing really began when the title of the book and the entire outline for the book all happened at the exact same time. Wow. So the the long and short story of it was I was driving back from a long weekend with friends. I was with my uh, wife at the time. She was my girlfriend and mm-hmm. she had just taken on a new role of managing people. It was her first role managing people. And I had been in a role where I had managed people for a number of years. So we're going through stuff and we're talking about these different scenarios she has and how to handle this and how to handle that and conflict and different things. Right. And at one point I just recognized that she had this one critical feature about her that really gave her an edge to be able to get whatever it is that she wanted to have done. And that Mm -hmm. was being lovable. She had lovableness about her. It comes out of every pore of her body and the way she is. So that even as she went through all the tactics and the conflict resolution and all the different tactics that she would need as a leader, it was the fact Uh that she was lovable that really gave it the edge. So we basically put together the entire outline of that book right there in that car ride home. We came up with the title right there on the spot. I said, lovable leader, that's you. All right, let's come up with the outline. Bust out my Evernote. And then we did that. Okay. So after you guys crafted the outline, did you ask her to marry you? It was shortly after that that I asked her. (laughs) That's a whole story, our whole engagement story, the marriage story. Just Google Gibbard unicorn wedding. (laughs) That's the fun little treasure hunt for everybody that's listening right now. Gibbard unicorn wedding. Just Google Gibbard, that's G-I-B-B-A-R-D, unicorn wedding, and you'll find out. Okay. Well, I'm thinking that she made you marry her because, I mean, dude, she wrote the book. Really? She basically did. I mean, the the book is, it's about her. It's inspired by her. So she's the dedication right in the front, but I would have married her even if she didn't give me such a good idea for a book. (laughs) 
That's beautiful. That is beautiful. So what was it about the future Ms. Gibbard that made her so lovable? So it was, wasn't long before that outline and that conversation that mm-hmm. my wife said something to me that I'll never forget. She was talking about how when she was in high school or when she was in junior high, it was around that time. She talked about this experience of having felt alone. Uh, mm. It was like something where she didn't get invited to sit at a particular table or something. Like that, and, and she didn't feel welcome. She didn't feel mm. safe. She didn't feel comfortable. Mm. She felt alone. And mm. she said, and what she does, what she was doing at the time uh, when we were having a conversation, she works at a co-working space called WeWork. She runs one of the buildings. She now runs several of the buildings. But oh, yeah. what drew her to co-working, the idea of it, why she became so good at it was that she always said, I never want anyone here to ever feel alone. And it Mm. drew back to this experience she had when she was a kid about not making people feel alone. So we Mm. really, I interrogated that. I started to try and understand, like, what does that mean to not make people feel alone? And Mm. what really came out of it were a lot of the, became the three pillars of lovable leadership, which is care, trust, and safe travels. So when people feel cared for, when they feel like they can trust you and they can talk to you, and when they have predictability about how you'll respond to those situations, and when they give you a safe environment to pursue your goals, you don't feel alone. You feel like you're part of something. So that's really like how we kind of identified what does lovable mean? It was partly from those experiences that she provided. And then just a lot of research I looked into, you know, the what love is and how that shows up in different environments. So that's kind of how it all came together. Mm, man, who wants to be alone, right? I mean, there's sometimes I want to be alone, but, but I think yeah. you can be alone without being lonely. And so what I hear yes. you saying was the future Ms. Gibbard was, more lonely. was lonely at that point. And dude, you're taking me right back to, and I've been married 40 years at the, at the time of this recording. I asked my wife, who's just so beautiful. And if you're looking at YouTube, you know, I might not be beautiful. But anyway, <laughs> so, so I asked her one time, I said, what was it, you know, that initially attracted you to me? And this was probably after five years of marriage, you know, when I thought things were secure and she wasn't going to walk out the door. So, you know, <laughs> what was it that attracted you? It's interesting you, to me? you waited that long to ask her. <laughs> yeah. I was a little nervous, man, because, you know, <laughs> she could get her money back. And so it came with a five year money back guarantee, right? She said to me, you saw me when I was invisible. And I don't know about you, Jeff, but that that smells a lot like the being alone thing. When we come to work, who do we treat like they're invisible, right? Who do we see and how do we choose to see them? So you named the three pillars. Man, let's unpack those because these are the key to setting up a work positive culture, right? And Mm -hmm. that's how you attract top talent. I mean, a lot of people want to talk about recruiting talent. I think you attract it. Some uh, Jamie Weeks, I think it is, or Chris Tuff, one of those guys talks about courting. I think it's Chris talks about courting top talent. It's also how you reduce team turnover, right? And so productivity goes out the roof because people are seen and they're not lonely. They have companions at work. So you said care is the first pillar. Yeah. So care being one of the first things that you can do to create a, so just backing up real quick to the concept mm-hmm. of lovable leadership, it's one, it's about the leader, like, but yeah. it's not about you want people to love you. It's about creating a culture of lovable leadership, which is about creating a culture of love, which is mm-hmm. steeped in trust, respect, kindness, care, trust, safety. These are things mm-hmm. that create environments where you feel love and connection, even if mm-hmm. it's not, I mean, obviously it's, it's work appropriate love, but it's the idea yeah. of feeling safe where you are and feeling cared for and feeling that you have trust and feeling that you're respected and there's kindness. Mm-hmm. Like these are the elements that make up love and it's mm-hmm. fully work appropriate to have those elements at work. Right. Yeah. So 
care is, I think, one of the first ones because so much of the time when we leave a job, you know, so much of the reason we leave jobs in general, statistically year after year, is because of our managers. We leave bad yeah. leaders, we leave bad managers. Sherm says and, like 54% of all people leave the job because of the bad boss. Yeah. And I'll give you a super uh, salient example from my life that was like an example of when care was missing, I made my decision to leave. So Mm. I live in the Northeast and we get snow and ice sometimes. So I was at the time of this story. Sometimes (laughs) we don't get a lot anymore, but when we do, sometimes it's bad, right? So at the time of the story, I was working for a company and I drove a little Honda Insight. It was the first hybrid they ever made. I, thing looked like you could probably, you, I, I know you're, you're a taller guy than me, but it could probably fit on your right foot. It was real small. Two-seater, <laughs> little like a shifter. It was a matchbox car, right? Yeah, it, but it got 70 miles to the gallon. So, I mean, yeah, I, I know, know, yeah, I it had its benefit. Yeah, so, here's the thing, sure. though, is, you know, great car, a lot of fun, not great when it's icy and snowy. Right. So we're back in the 2008, 2009 timeline and Mm -hmm. we get hit with this massive, massive snowstorm. Now, my office that I was working at was about 30 to 45 minutes away and on a good day, 25 minutes if I was flying. Okay. Snowy, icy, a little bit hilly on its way over there. And I drive a stick shift little hybrid insight car and I say, I call in. I was like, Hey, you know, I think it's kind of dangerous for me to drive in. And they're like, you need to be in the office. That was a moment showing you don't care about me. You don't wow. care about my safety. You don't care about the thing that I just said to you that I feel unsafe coming into this work environment. And realistically, there was nothing going on that needed to happen in person. I could have attended via conference calls. I could have done all manner of different things. There was even early video conferencing technology at that time I could have utilized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, they said you have to be there in person. Mm. So that was just one example of me feeling uncared for. And it was at that moment, I remember it driving in, I said, there's no way in. I'm staying with this company. Yeah, I drove in because I was younger. I didn't think anymore. Like at yeah. that time, I didn't yet have the awareness to enforce my boundaries and saying, well, yeah. I'm not coming in. You can deal with that. You can either mm. fire me or not, whatever, <laughs> but I'm not going to be unsafe. And let me just give you a real quick backstory. My mother mm. almost died in a car accident on my last day of high school. So I have oh, trauma dude. about car stuff. So me saying that I don't feel comfortable wasn't just I drive an unsafe car for this type of weather. It's also I have a lot of baggage about this. Mm. And many of these people knew about this because Mm. I had to have certain accommodations for, you know, her care after the fact at times. Mm -hmm. So it was a deeply uncaring move on their part to force me to Mm. come in. That's Mm. just an example of like when you treat your people as if their lives don't matter, that their worlds outside of the walls of your office don't matter, and that Mm. all that matters is the company and what the company needs, how are you going to inspire loyalty? How are you going to inspire trust? How are they going to love working there? They're not. They're just going to feel like they don't matter. Mm. You're invisible, Jeff. Yeah, invisible. Exactly. Alone. Lonely. Yeah, yeah. They didn't see you at all. They just wanted you to do what you're going to do. And those are the same people who will complain about, you know, you just can't pay people to work anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's just think about your contribution to that side of the equation, right? They're the people that coined the term quiet quitting as if yeah. people aren't just not showing up because you're making them drive through a snowstorm. Mm, man, what a story. When you unpack that bit about your mom, that's just. Right. But I mean, the work positive culture would know that about your mom. I mean, it would be more than just you not putting your own life at risk coming in. It would be, hey, our relationship is enough so that I know this about you. At least your your team leader does, right? Hey, yeah. Jeff, I know that, you know, this is a challenge for you under normal conditions, right? But these conditions, let's just stay home. We can, I mean, 
you can get on the phone and say, you know, let's have a call and do what we need to do. So care is the first thing. And that sounds simple when we talk about it the way that you and I are talking about it. But it takes an extra effort to see a person as a person instead of a worker bee and whatever it is that they can contribute to our bottom line, right? Yeah. The cool thing is when you engage them and they become productive, it's because you cared about them. So what's that second pillar, Jeff, of a lovable leader? So the second pillar is trust. I am such a huge fan of talking about this. Um, hmm. There's an author that I'm a huge fan of named Robin Dreek. He wrote a book called The Code of Trust. If you haven't spoken to him, I'm going to make an introduction. He's an amazing podcast guest. Oh, He's a podcaster. He's awesome. I actually just recently spoke to him and we we went deep down the rabbit hole of talking about trust because that's his thing. Hmm. And, um, and, I, and I love talking with people about it. One of the things that he said that I think is really interesting is that in order to build trust, you have to be able to create a sense of safety in people and predictability. Mm. These are two things that people look for. And in my book, I talk a lot about trust as, as a piece of, it's about predictability. So like you have to trust that something is going to go the way that your expectations are. Mm. You want to meet people's expectations. Mm -hmm. And I have a whole framework in the book about establishing trust, having great conversations uh, called sitting on the same side of the table. But essentially mm. you want to put other people, you want to center other people in the in the conversation and and in the discussion about whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that they, they know that you have their best interest in mind, that you're going to make mm. them feel safe, that you're going to care about their well-being and all of these pillars, they they don't stand alone. They really overlap. Um, sure so do. creating trust is really about centering other people, listening to them, being curious about them, and then trying to find a place where your goals align so that you're always sitting on the same side of the table. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Man, trust. Uh, talk about the relationship between trust and predictability. Yeah. So I think that it would be difficult to actually trust anyone or anything if it were unpredictable. The only thing that you would trust is that it is unpredictable. Yeah. But to a certain extent, once something is unpredictable enough, the type of trust I'm talking about, which is the ability to have a foundation for mm. a deep relationship where you feel a connection to somebody else, where you feel mm. like you can align your goals together, because that's mm. the thing. If, if somebody's unpredictable, how can mm. you really know if your goals are actually aligned, if you're actually moving in the same direction, if you mm. actually have the same values or the same uh, desired outcomes, right? So you need that predictability there because that's the the firm ground to walk on together because without that, you're walking on shaky ground. You're walking on a shaky premise. So that trust piece is such an essential component um, mm. to being able to build a strong relationship. It is. And we earn that trust, right? By being predictable um, or at least consistent. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully predictable. So that means when I tell you I'm going to do something, I do it. Yeah, 100%. That's such a good point. Yeah. And when I tell you I'm not sure I can do that, but let me work on it. And I'll get back with you. Okay. So now we're talking about integrity as a pathway to predictability. And then Mitchell Levy from Credibility Nation unpacks credibility around this same kind of concept. I like to think about it as you're making deposits in someone's bank account. Right. Yeah. And, and so predictability, trust, care, those kinds of things. I'm making deposits. Now I'm human as a leader and I'm going to screw stuff up and you can, that's predictable. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I'm always going to come back to you and own it. How does that personal responsibility enter into developing trust as a lovable leader, Jeff? Yeah. You hit on like two or three really important things. I want I just want to like call out in case anybody missed it. Sure. One of the things you talked about is that trust is built over time. Right. Mm. And I think on the one hand, my style at least is that I generally will trust people off the bat. I you know, mm -hmm. prove me wrong, but I'm going to trust you. And then you can prove me wrong, mm -hmm. but I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt. 
out of the gate because that's the type of human being I am. And I'm willing to get taken advantage of and lose occasionally because I found that in the long run, I do better by trusting people. I have better relationships by trusting people off the bat. So that's just my style. Take that for what you will. But generally speaking, to build predictability, you have to have enough of a sample size to have confidence in that predictability. So to your point that you spoke about, which is that trust is built over time. So you need to deposit in that bank over time and over time. But the other part, which is talking about it as a bank, which I think is such an interesting analogy for it, and I often will talk about it too, like kind of making deposits in the trust bank, mm-hmm. is all of our deposits in this trust bank are generally small deposits. It's mm. interest, right? It's yep. little bitty bits. But Come when we out. make a withdrawal, <laughs> it is often a large withdrawal. And what yeah. I mean by that is that when we breach that trust that we spent so much time building, mm. it's going to have a 5X, 10X amplified yes impact and feeling than it would than the things that we put into the bank. So Mm -hmm. that's also to the point that you were making as well about owning your mistakes. If you want to limit the size of that withdrawal, you have to not try and cover it up and pretend that it didn't happen. You need to own it Mm -hmm. because that's actually a contribution back into the bank. You're saying, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Let me tell you what actions I'm going to take in order to rectify the harm that I've caused or the problems that I've caused. Mm. When you own up to it, you're showing that you're a person of integrity and people can continue to trust you. You just happen to mess up. And that's a difference because messing up isn't the problem. It's what's the context of the mess up. Is it that you've breached my trust in the mess up or it's that you messed up, but you still kept my trust. And what's your response to those unintended consequences from the mess up too? Do you respond with the blame game? Well, you know, that morning the dog peed on my favorite pair of shoes and I just wasn't in a good mood. I mean, (laughs) pick something, any something. Or are you going to say, hey, I I just blew that one. I was not top of my game. I could give you what sounds like reasons to me, but they're probably excuses to you. So how do we best move forward? Then I believe in 100% ownership personally. That's yeah, my style. Exactly. Is like, I think if you're going to take on the role of leader, which I don't think is necessarily a title, I think it's more of a mindset. So when you take yes. on the mindset of leadership mm-hmm. and you say, it's my job to care for those that I'm working with and that I'm going to take on a greater degree of responsibility, not because I'm asked, but because I choose to, to bear the weight of the additional pressure and do it for the good of the team. When you accept that responsibility and the privileges that come with it and the burdens that come mm-hmm. with it, part of it is that you have got to accept the ownership that comes with any problem that happens on your watch. So I look at it as this way, a, a, a great leader, especially a lovable leader, yeah. will never accept credit for somebody else's work. And they will Mm. also never pass blame for their own shortcomings in leadership. Mm. Everything that happens on your watch, you own that. So Mm. even if somebody else messes up, that doesn't mean that they escape accountability for messing up. If somebody on your team messes up, you got to work on that. But it's on your watch. You're the Mm. leader. It's your job to make sure that you understand where the breakdown occurred. So you take ownership in that. And if it's something that you did that you screwed up, 100%, you got to immediately just own that. I Mm -hmm. messed up. Here's what happened. Let me tell you how I'm going to fix it. And you got it. And part of taking ownership is taking actions to rectify it and fix it. Well, for you and me, Jeff, that's authenticity 101. But man, to so few leaders, well, I shouldn't say so few. There are uh, numerous examples that are rifling through work positive nations mind right now yeah. of leaders who are inauthentic and do the exact opposite of what you said. So let's say my leader is one of those persons. How can I help my leader? How, how can I create opportunities in which my leader can step up and, and develop some authenticity? And I can, you know, as, as a follower of that leader, be a part of the transformation of our work culture. 
it's tough because I, I want to acknowledge that the system that we're all playing in has certain incentives. Mm. You want to get ahead. You want to win at all costs. That's kind of the system we're in to a certain extent. Yeah. But that said, people that play that game don't necessarily go as far and they certainly aren't going to be able to retain a team that wants to follow them from place to place. Mm -hmm. So if you want to play a long game, if you want to play the infinite game as Simon Sinek would play, call it, you want to think of these relationships on a longer timeline, which means you want to think about how you interact with people in a much different way. You want to be willing to be vulnerable. You want to be willing to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And if you have a leader who's not that type of person, I think the best thing you can do is model that type of behavior and Mm -hmm. create the conditions and the environments where when you're interacting with that person that Mm -hmm. you give them the freedom to be seen. So a lot Mm -hmm. of the times those leaders that are in that position aren't that way are scared. Mm -hmm. They are scared themselves of being vulnerable. They're scared that if they admit a mistake, that Mm -hmm. they're going to be the ones they take the knock on, you know, on the chin for it. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you can, as someone, if you can lead upward in this scenario, Mm -hmm. as a lovable leader, you can lead upward and you can care about them and you can extend them the trust and the grace, Mm -hmm. and you can create a safe environment for them to pursue their goals. You're modeling the type of behavior you want to see in them. And so many of one of the things I do on my podcast Mm -hmm. is at the end of my podcast, I ask my guests to think about the term lovable leader and think about someone from their past that represents this person. They cared about you. They created trust. They had the safety for you to pursue your goals, right? Think of that person. And I will tell you many people who answer that question, because what I ask them to do next is just be grateful and thank them on air, right? Right. Because I I ask them to thank that person. And a lot of guests will actually thank someone that worked for them, not someone they worked for. So they learned from people who were in their care, but yes. those people taught them something about how to be a better leader and how to be a better person. And mm. I think if you have a boss or a manager or somebody that is not modeling the type of leadership that you want, mm. you have a role in being able to model the type of behavior you do want to see. And if that doesn't work, you may be in the wrong work environment. Mm. And you may want to consider finding somewhere else, or you may want to find somewhere else in the company for a different leader. Um, so there's a lot of options, but I, I do think you know the whole be the change you wish to see in the world. I think yes. that's a good place to start. You can always subtly drop them hints. There's a really great book called The Lovable Leader you could drop on their desk, might help them. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like aside from that, I think modeling the behavior is probably your best bet. Yeah, it really is. Man, I love that that testimonial there for leading up and being a lovable leader that leads up in that so many of the persons on your podcast name persons that worked for them. Yeah. I'm just convinced that we have to empower beyond uh, titles and it's everyone's responsibility in the company to create a positive work culture. And uh, that leading up, being a lovable leader up is, is certainly a part of that. Jeff Gibbard is my guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Hey, unless you're on the Peloton or walking the dog and jerking you all over the park or something, go right now to jgibbard.com. That's J-G-I-B-B-A-R-D.com. That's sort of a portal site, a gateway site, if you will, to all of the incredible resources that Jeff offers, Lovable Leader certainly being one of them. And of course, The Lovable Leader, the book is available wherever fine books are sold. So Jeff, we've talked about a couple of uh, pillars here. We've talked about care. We've talked about trust. What's the third pillar? I think the third pillar is there's like a whole thing in marketing about not trying to be too clever. Like just say it, say it, simply say it straight. Well, I'm just going to fly in the face of convention there and say, I think this is very clever what I came up with here, which is I tried to combine two concepts into one because I was trying to keep the framework simple, right? Rule Uh of threes. You want to have a nice three things. And I came up with the idea of safe travels because what I was trying Mm -hmm. to combine there was two concepts. Mm -hmm. So the first is safety. 
obvious to the name safe travels, right? The second is the travels piece, which is that leadership is about taking people to a destination, right? So the, the model I thought of in my head, the metaphor for this, right? So let's say that you were getting on a plane in New York and you were going to go to Los Angeles. The goal is to get to Los Angeles, but mm-hmm. really isn't part of the goal to get to Los Angeles safely. Don't you, yeah, you don't want yeah. the doors flying open at 30,000 feet? <laughs> I don't right? want to arrive so, in LA in a body bag, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so if you're getting on that plane, you have the expectation and you have the hope that you're going to get to your destination safely, whether you're mm-hmm. driving across country, or you're, right. you're flying across country, or you're trying to pursue a big goal. That's right. The hope is that the team, the people on that, that journey together feel safe in that vessel on that voyage together. Mm-hmm. So part of that means that you have to ensure that there are certain guidelines about kind of who gets to get on that plane. How mm-hmm. do people create, how do you create the environment in on that journey where everyone feels safe, that we have the ability to communicate honestly, directly, kindly, and candidly mm-hmm. so that we can all arrive to the destination we're trying to get to together. So mm-hmm. safe travels is really about this concept of as a leader, your job is not just to set big ambitious goals, because if you're not creating the safety for people to fail along the way, mm-hmm. then you're not going to reach those big ambitious goals. That's right. And if you're not creating the sense of safety on your team that we're going to get there and that we're all going to get there together. And we're not just going to start tossing people out the door, you know, as we're on our way, then you're not going to get people locked in. You need people to get locked in to what we're trying to accomplish as a team. And Mm -hmm. to do that, they need to feel safe. They need to feel that they can trust that they're going to be on that voyage the whole way Mm -hmm. together. So there's a lot of things that you do with that. One of the things I talk about in the book is the eight commitments of the team. I don't want to go through them on, on the podcast because it'll take the entire rest of the podcast, but it's it's just different things that you can do. It's commitments to different types of communications, sure. commitments to the different types of diversity, equity, inclusion, and representation on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, commitments to uh, alignment that like, even if we mm-hmm. have disagreements that we stay aligned towards that goal. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's eight commitments that I call out and I'm sure there's more, but those are the eight that I thought of. Um, yeah. And the idea is- as a leader, you want to create the environment where people feel safe to accomplish those big goals. And safety, man, that's what paves the path to innovation and creativity. And if you yeah. want a competitive advantage in your company, if you want to be a leader in your industry, you got to innovate. And as you just indicated, I got to know I'm not going to get voted off the island for trying something stupid because the line between something stupid and something brilliant and innovative, <laughs> it's a thin. Did it work? Yeah, it's a thin little And I don't know about you, Jeff, but I can't tell the difference early on. You know, when it's first starting, this is either going to be the best thing that ever happened or it's going to be the worst thing that ever happened. I mean, that's the way you approach it, right? Until it starts proving itself one way or the other. And then you look back and say, what did I learn? So I absolutely love that notion of, of letting people feel secure about being on the island with you, right? Again, you're not lonely. I'm seeing you. I'm caring for you. You can trust me. Yeah. Okay, we're in this together now. Let's go have some fun and innovate and create and let that be our competitive advantage. Those are three amazing pillars. So Jeff Gibbard, as I mentioned just a moment ago, jgibbard.com is the website you want to go to, or you can go to the lovableleader.com if you want to get a book. Hey, if I go to lovableleader.com, what do I find besides the book? Talks a little bit about who the book is for, why you would want to read it, how it's different from other leadership books. Uh, there's testimonials, people that from all different walks of life that I know that have read the book and 
given feedback on some of the things that they like about it and um, call out some of the things that make the book unique amongst the the crowded sea of leadership books, because there's so many out there. Um, there you know, one of the things I'm, I'm really proud of is that the book is written for new managers because I feel like it's tough to really get to a fortune 500 CEO and say like, Hey, you should lead differently. They're like, look at my results. <laughs> Everything is fine. But right. these new managers, people that are not used to actually, uh, you know, working necessarily managing people. Right. I, I felt like they needed a resource, something written for them that wasn't from, you know, again, like a fortune 500, fortune 100 CEO telling mm. them how to lead. They need to know practically. I got a team of five people and they keep yeah. fighting. How do I deal with this? Right, right. Well, that's the exact scenario your wife was in, right? When, yeah. when all this was birthed. So, um, man, that that's awesome. Uh, Work Positive Nation always wants to know from my guest, Jeff, about one thing. What's the yes. one thing you would tell Work Positive Nation to do today to start creating a positive work culture? I'll tell you, aside from the obvious one, as I'm just going to call out the obvious one, uh, which is that equitable pay across the board, equitable, transparent pay is like an obvious one, right? Yep. So that, that, that's the obvious one. So let's, let's put that one to the side. Okay. I guess I would say if there's one thing you could start doing, it starts saying, I don't know more. Mm-hmm. And then also shutting your mouth and asking people what they think. One of the best things that you can do to create a culture is where people feel like they are included in that culture, that they have a voice in that culture. Mm-hmm. I recently heard of um, a really interesting thing that they do at Amazon at all of all places, but um, I follow this creator on LinkedIn named Eddie, Ellie Middleton. She talks a lot about environments for neurodiverse people, ADHD and autism. She says uh-huh. that at Amazon, one of the things that they do is when they have a meeting, they do a memo culture. Everybody reads the memo mm. and then they come into the room and then they ask the junior most person to go first and the senior most person doesn't speak until last. And if you think of the wow. impact of that psychologically on somebody who's young and new in a company, mm-hmm. if all of a sudden I as the leader come out and I start blabbing in my mouth about my opinions, what are they going to do? Oh yeah, great idea, sir. You're, you're so <laughs> smart. You're, you know exactly. You're but if they go first, like crazy, they, man. Yeah. They have nothing to lose in the beginning. They have no no one to disagree with, no way to be wrong. They've been asked for their opinion. There's a lot less pressure for them to go. And then as each person goes subsequently, it allows it to kind of go up the chain. So there's less and less of a threat until you get to the top and somebody gets to learn about all of these things that the people on their team wouldn't have said potentially had they gone first. So I think saying, I don't know, and being transparent when you don't know something instead of BSing your way through it, and then asking people what they think and shutting up. I think it's one of the best things you could do as a leader. Wow. That's amazing. Real tough for know-it-alls like me. I got to tell you, I really, I, <laughs> that one's tough for me. Like I'm paid to know what, know things, right? But you know, as a coach, right? You're not paid to know things. Sometimes you're helped to, you're paid to help people discover things. That's exactly right. And, and we do coach training with companies all over the world and you put your finger on the pulse of the biggest learning of transformation. Who's the expert? Is it the client or is it me? Well, the client's obviously the expert in who she or he is, right? But, yep. uh, you know, we forget that. That's so easy to do. Man, I love that. Okay, I've got to check the historicity of this, but for some reason there's a story running through my head that where I read some anthropology about Native Americans, indigenous people, and mm-hmm. um, I think tribal councils were run exactly the way Amazon's running that memo culture. Interesting that the juniors spoke first and then it went to the wisest in this case man in the culture and he would then usually with brief memorable words right 
he would he would summarize what had been said and then uh, twist it a little bit differently to to throw some wisdom on it. I have to check the historicity of that. For some reason, that story's running through my head. So now you're giving me some homework. I appreciate that. <laughs> Jeff, Happy Gibbard to do it. Happy to guest. do it. Man, we we could talk for for days or weeks about this. You're amazing. I understand why you're regarded as a superhero right here, right now. Thanks for being such a lovable leader. And thank your wife, Forrest, too, for A, marrying you, because you got two of the cutest kids on the planet. And then and then B, uh, just for, man, seeing in you so much potential and calling that out in you. And then the equity that the two of you exchange around this whole notion of the lovable leader. And it's a real role model for all of us. So thanks, Jeff. Go to jeffgibbard.com right now. Go to thelovableleader.com. Of course, wherever fine books are sold, you can pick up a copy. And look, Jeff as a superhero offers so many resources to help you create a positive work culture that increases productivity and profits. Just find your way to jgibbard.com. Make a priority of it. And you'll be glad you did. You'll be thanking me later. Thanks, Jeff, for contributing so much to Work Positive Nation today. We appreciate you and love you, brother. Thank you, man. Dr. Joey, it was a pleasure to talk to you, man. Thank you for listening to the Work Positive Podcast with your host, executive coach and culture architect, Dr. Joey Fawcett. Please share this podcast with your friends who are small business leaders so they can create a positive work culture that increases their productivity and profits. Get your free 15-point work positive checklist to help you attract top talent and reduce team turnover. Download this checklist at workpositive.today slash checklist. Remember, it pays to work positive.